Uh, in a minute, when we get started with the message today, um, I'm just telling you right now, uh, we're gonna talk about the Trinity, and anytime we talk about the Trinity, it's wildly confusing, and everybody leaves the room like this. It's a heavy concept. We're gonna wrestle with it a bit. It's gonna be confusing, so I just wanna tell you, the goal is not to clear the understanding in your mind. The goal is to help us understand it better in our hearts. But if we're gonna get there at all today, uh, we need to pray, so let's start with prayer. Father, we are so grateful uh, that you bring us together that you call us to be your family, your church, your people here in this place, in this part of Kingwood, in this part of the city, in this part of the world. So uh, we gather so that we can be made ready, so we can be encouraged, so that we can remember the good news of your great love for us, and so that we can leave from this place and just be a people who tell others, even sometimes without meaning to, that the stories just become such a part of who we are that it is lived out in the way that we live and move in the world. So we pray that you'd equip us, that you'd do that work in us today. Open our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we can receive it, make difficult things a little more clear for us today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so I wanna start by reading you something. Um, this is like the summary of a letter written by a prophet named Isaiah. Um, Isaiah is a very long book in the Old Testament. This is just a summary. Uh, Isaiah's job was to listen to God and then tell the people what he heard. That's the job of every prophet. But God let Isaiah in on a secret. He told Isaiah that he had a plan to come and fix this broken world. So I wanna read you a summary of the message God gave to Isaiah. Uh, by the way, the name Isaiah, it means God to the rescue. So the man that was named God to the rescue, he wrote something that uh, goes like this. A letter from the father says to my dear, deeply loved children, you're wandering away from me. You're like sheep in an open field and now you're lost and you can't find your way back. But I can't stop loving you so I'm coming to find you. I'm sending a shepherd to look after you, to love you, and one day to carry you home to me. You've been stumbling around uh, like people in a dark room, but into that darkness, a bright light will shine. It'll chase away all the shadows around you. A baby will be born. His mom will just be a young girl who doesn't even have a husband. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. He'll be a royal son, one of King David's children's children's children. He'll be called the Prince of Peace. Someone's coming. He's coming to rescue you. But it won't be who anyone expects. He's gonna be a king, but he won't live in a palace. And he won't have a lot of money. In fact, he'll be poor. He'll be a servant, but the servant king, he's gonna heal the world. He'll make the blind see. He'll make the lame jump for joy. He'll be a hero. He'll fight for his people and rescue them from their enemies, but he won't do it using big armies. And he's not gonna fight with swords, but he will make everything the way it was always meant to be. The problem is, as he does this, people will hate him. 
They're not gonna listen to him. And like a lamb, he will suffer and die. But don't lose hope because he won't stay dead. I'll make him alive again. And one day when he comes back to rule forever, even the mountains and the trees will dance and sing for joy. The earth itself will shout out loud. His fame will fill the whole earth just like the waters cover the sea. Everything that's sad will come untrue. Death itself is gonna die. And he will wipe away every tear from every eye. The rescuer's coming. Look for him. Be watching, be waiting, because he's coming, I promise. Does anybody want to guess where that summary of Isaiah comes from? Say it out loud, you know it. Well, Isaiah, yeah, um, but, the, but somebody else wrote what I just read. It comes from that Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, I've decided I'm just going to see how many weeks in a row I can get away with reading a children's Bible to a bunch of adults. (laughs) But isn't it good? Like, just really helps us understand what, go home and read Isaiah today and tell me which one you'd rather read. (laughs) It's complicated. This story of the Bible really helps us to understand. Uh, Today, what we're going to see is is we're going to see that Jesus is the plan that God gave Isaiah. But we're going to see how Jesus is God to the rescue in three specific ways. By revealing to us the truth that God is with us, that God is for us, and that God is God instead of us. And we're gonna see that this is all really good news. But first, I wanna show you, I wanna show you how a Presbyterian pastor translates one of these chapters in particular. Uh, This is from Isaiah 9, and I wanna read it from the message. Um, We're using parts of this chapter as as our call to worship. The Mendez family read some of this as they lit our wreath this morning. Uh, So listen to this, Isaiah 9 from the message. It says this. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For those who have lived in a land of deep shadows, light, sunbursts of light. You repopulated the nation, you expanded its joy. And oh, are they so glad in your presence. It's a festival of joy. The joy of a great celebration, sharing rich gifts and warm greetings. The abuse of of oppressors, the cruelty of tyrants, all their whips and clubs and curses, it's gone, it's done. It's been done away with. A deliverance as surprising and as sudden as Gideon's victory over Midian. The boots of all those invading troops along with their shirts that are soaked with innocent blood, they'll be piled up in a heap and burned. A fire that'll burn for days. For a child has been born. For us, the gift of a son, for us. He'll take over the running of this world and his names will be amazing counselor, strong God, eternal father, prince of wholeness. His ruling authority will grow and there will be no limits to the wholeness he brings. He'll rule from the historic David throne over that promised kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing And he'll keep it going day by day with fair dealing and right living, beginning now and lasting always. And it's the zeal of the God of angel armies that will do all of this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. So I remember um, conversations, negotiations, 
debates with my sweet wife as we were trying to figure out the names of our kids. Uh, If you know her, you are aware she and I are very different. Uh, Like I just can't even overstate just how different we are. And we found that to be absolutely true in our preference for baby names. Uh, she, she loves these, you know, sweet, uh, normal names. <laughs> uh, but as we went through them, nothing stood out to us. If you were to take a guess, um, what do you think I wanted to name our first child, especially after I found out it was going to be a boy? <laughs> Somebody say Jedi. <laughs> okay. So, so Michelle, you're not far off. Um, okay. So I wanted to name him Luke, of course. Any Star Wars fan born in the mid-70s, dream of naming your firstborn son after the great Jedi Master. But what I didn't tell Jennifer, actually, she just found this out at the earlier service. What I really was hoping we would name him was Master Jedi Luke Skywalker Herb. (laughs) Um, I was ready to insert the hyphen in his name and everything. Um, But she is incredibly wise, uh, so after a little convincing, uh, she helped me see that was a little too on the nose, a little too obvious, fair enough. Uh, Of course, we realized that naming him Jesus would have put a little too much pressure on the kid. Um, So we went with Benjamin instead. Ben. Old Ben. If you know anything about Star Wars, you'll recognize that I still got my way. It's just a little less obvious, uh, but still awesome. (laughs) All right, so we had one kid down. Uh, The Star Wars reference was secured. Uh, Now it's time for scripture. Uh, So so Anna, for the longest time, uh, she was Abby to us. Uh, We actually didn't fight about that one too much. She was Abby. Uh, We knew her middle name would be Gail after Jennifer. Her name would be Abby Gail. And then Jennifer's youngest brother started dating a girl in high school, and her name was Abby. So our Abby Gale very quickly became Anna Gale. Now, in Hebrew, that name is Hannah, or Hannah. And it's the name of a prophetess. She was the mother of Samuel, the prophet who anointed a shepherd boy named David and made him king. The thing about Hannah that she was strong, she was bold, she was a fierce woman of God. She sings a song in Samuel chapter two that sounds a lot like Mary's song that she sang after she found out that she was gonna give birth to the Messiah. It's a strong, bold, fierce woman of God, but her name means grace. And that's the interesting thing about these Hebrew names. Every one of them has deep meaning. Benjamin's name, this Hebrew name as well, it means son of the right hand. I've already shared with you, uh, Isaiah's name literally means God to the rescue. Emmanuel, one of the names for Jesus, it means with us, God. But that's not Jesus' only name. In our passage today, there are at least four other names given to the Messiah, given to this child. The names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now listen, we've got to talk about this for a minute. Last week, we talked about the story of David. David defeats this beast, this giant Goliath who's dressed like a serpent. And we talked about how that story, along with every other story, but about how that story of David, it points to Jesus 
that story points to and puts on display the name Mighty God. But there are three other names. And if you really think about these three names, what they mean, it actually creates a bit of a mess. This is where our Trinitarian confusion is about to come in, so get ready. (laughs) It says the baby's name is Everlasting Father. So we need to wrestle with this because there's deep meaning in these names. There's deep meaning for each of us in these names, but like I said, it can be a little confusing. Uh, So to help us understand all this, I wanna read you a part of an ancient creed. Uh, This creed is called the Athanasian Creed. Uh, It was written in the sixth century. I mean, it really focuses on the nature of the Trinity. One God, Father, Spirit, and Son. And what the creed does is it gives us words so that we can describe what we believe about what is honestly an incomprehensible mystery. That's what the Trinity is. It's an incomprehensible mystery. And every analogy that we try to come up with, um, it fails to accurately describe what we believe. The Trinity isn't analogous to any created thing. Many, maybe you've heard that the Trinity is like water. Have you heard that before? Yeah, heresy. Maybe you've heard the Trinity is like the sun. Have you heard that before? It's heresy. A three-leaf clover. All heresies. No analogy can adequately describe the Trinity because nothing in creation can put on display the Trinity in the way that Jesus does. So I want you to listen to this. This is from the Athanasian Creed. This is just how it starts. It says, now this is the faith that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of Father Son and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal. Their majesty co-eternal. You know in the Catholic Church they make the sign of the cross. Do you know what that means? It's actually really beautiful and it's a shame that we don't use it to be honest with you because they believe that God is one. Father, Spirit, and Son one and they believe this with all their mind, with all their soul and with all their strength. It's a way of reminding us of the nature of the Trinity. So now having heard the creed, does that clear up the mystery of the Trinity for you? You got it? Like, of course you don't. It's an incomprehensible mystery. Somebody once wrote, the Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason. It can only be understood through faith. And we just have to leave it at that. But Jesus does help us out. So look at this again. Look at the names that Isaiah gives the child. Mighty God, no problem, we've already talked about that. The next name, Prince of Peace. That's pretty easy too. That's clearly a reference to the person of Jesus. We're gonna talk about that name more next week. But look at this one. This is where we start to get in trouble. Wonderful Counselor. Okay, this isn't God the lawyer, okay? Though it is an advocate that pleads our case and fights for us. This is not God the therapist, though it is also called the comforter. The wonderful counselor here is referring to wisdom, a discerning spirit, a gift to help guide us, to walk alongside us. Jesus himself calls him a helper. 
This is clearly a reference to the Holy Spirit. But the child is not the Holy Spirit. He's simply called Wonderful Counselor because he embodies the wisdom of the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? Now, another name given to this child is the name Eternal Father. Eternal Father, Everlasting Father. And listen, this is really important. Um, Don't think eternal or everlasting. Don't think of it as a reference to the life after this one, to the resurrected life with God forever. The grammar in Hebrew is different. Uh, I'm a grammar nerd. This is an active participle, and it just means that this is happening, and it's always happening, and it will never cease to be happening. So I actually prefer the word, I think it makes more sense, to use the word always. He is the always father. The same today, the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter the time or place or circumstance, Jesus reveals the love of God always. He is the embodiment of the always father for us. He is not the father, he's the embodiment of the father. Jesus tells his own disciples, if you've seen me, you know me, then you have seen and know the father. Jesus is the fullest expression. He's the most complete revelation of God's nature, of God's character. To see and to know Jesus is to see and to know the character and the essence of one God in three persons, Father, Spirit, and Son. If you want to know what the Father is like, if you want to understand the mystery of the Holy Spirit, who do you look to? Say it. Jesus. He's God in the flesh here with us. So I think about all the different ways that Jesus embodies the always father for us. And I think there are three pretty obvious ways. First, by being God with us, then by being God for us, and then by being God instead of us. Now first, I mentioned this earlier, the name Jesus, Emmanuel, it literally means God with us. More literally, with us, God. So when Isaiah tells us that the child will also be called everlasting father, the always father, he's just doubling down on this idea. And y'all, I've told you every story points to Jesus and there's just no way to show you through the Old Testament all the ways that these stories point to the idea that God is with us. But it's been that way from the beginning. He was with the man and the woman in the garden walked with them in the cool of the day. He was with Noah and his family. He was with Abraham. He was with Moses as a fiery bush that didn't consume itself. He was with the people of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness, walking with them, present with them as a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. He was with Elijah when Elijah sat on the mountaintop, not in the storm, not in the wind, but in a small, quiet voice. Like I could go on and on. But all throughout the Old Testament, from the very beginning, the direction of God has always been downward. God is searching for us. God here with us. In powerful and partial ways in the Old Testament, but in the fullness of time in the person of Jesus. Jesus reveals the fact that God is with us, the always Father, by literally being born into the world and putting on flesh. The second way Jesus reveals the always father is by being God for us. Old Testament stories, Isaiah 9, it references this battle from the Old Testament. You can read about it in Judges 7. It's actually really familiar in popular culture too. 
Um, the Israelites, they're about to take on this huge and powerful army. But just before the fighting starts, God sends them all home. He sends the entire nation home, all but 300 people and a warrior named Gideon. They are left alone to fight this battle. They're not left alone. Because God was not only with them, God fought for them. God sent everybody but the 300 home because he needed Israel to know that he was the one fighting for them, that he was the one who would win the battle. That if they had any hope facing nation after nation after nation, they had to put their trust and their hope in him. Jesus fought for the blind, for the lame, for sinners who lived on the edges of society. He fought for those who had no voice. Jesus fights for us. But when he reveals that God is for us, it's not just in the battles that God fights for us. Sometimes it's in the battles that God fights with us. The name Israel itself, another Hebrew name, it means wrestles with God. In Genesis 32, a guy named Jacob, he wrestles with God by a river. And the text tells us that he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and his socket was dislocated. Jacob was renamed Israel after the story because he wrestled with God, but he was injured in the process. Y'all, God is serious about holiness. He is serious about his children, his image bearers, growing to bear his image. And like any loving parent from time to time, he will set us down in order to set us straight. Like I've used this before, but if your child is standing in the middle of the road, if any child is standing in the middle of the road about to get hit by a car, what will you do to save them? To tackle them? Pick them up and throw them into the ditch on the side of the road? And you'll do it even if it means breaking an arm or a leg. You'll do what it takes in order to save their life. Sometimes Jesus also fights with us. <laughs> he teaches us. He corrects us. He calls us to repentance because he's serious about image bearers bearing the image of God. And I think the last way that Jesus reveals the always father to us is by being God instead of us. And there are two really important truths to this good news. And the first one, listen, I wanna invite you all to stop trying to bear the weight of the world on your own. Stop trying to bear the weight of being your own God because you just can't do it. You're not God. The weight of the world is not yours to carry. So lighten your load. Like as they say, let go and let God, right? Like I've shared with you before, I often feel overwhelmed and anxious. In the past, I've had depression, anxiety disorder. And I'm gonna tell you in the last couple of weeks, that anxiety has come back and it has been fierce. And when I do the things that I need to do to help me cope, when I wrestle with why that's happening, it's always because I'm trying to carry the weight of the world. Every time. And it's not mine to carry. So if you're like me, if you ever feel that way, join me as I keep trying to learn to let it go. Asking God to help me. Jesus said to me and to you that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. God is God instead of you. He'll carry the weight of the world for you. That's really good news.
but he's also God instead of you in the most important way of all. That in Jesus, he pays a debt that you can never pay by going to the cross to pay the price for your sins. Going to the cross instead of you. Like those of you that are parents, what price are you willing to pay so that your child might live? Like what are you willing to sacrifice? Your own life? Jesus is called the eternal father, the everlasting father, the always father, because even more than one parent sacrificing for their child, Jesus paid the price instead of us. And he did it for every child of God who's ever lived. And y'all, I think this is, this is the key. This is where we land. This is where we find our so what. We know a lot about who Jesus is now, but what does this mean for us? And I think today it's pretty easy. And I'm gonna kind of divide you up into two groups. This is a little different than I would have done at 9.30 where we have you know, some children and students in that service. But for everyone who's here today who is a parent, what does it mean for you to love your child? And can you truly love your child if you're not with them? And I don't just mean physically with them. There's a lot of families who live in the same house, but they're not really with each other. And there's a lot of families who are spread at far distances, but they're very close. Can you truly love your children if you're not with them? Jesus is God with us. Like I've shared with you many times, drama from my childhood raised by an adopted father who he wasn't ready. He just didn't know how to be a father. But what I haven't shared too often is the story of my biological father, the one who rejected me before my birth, or of his family who encouraged my mom and offered to fund my abortion. And I haven't shared it much because I don't know much. Like he wasn't there. He never has been. To this day, he refuses to be. He has lived no more than an hour away from me for most of my life. And to this day, refuses to be there. He is my blood. He is not my father. For those of you who don't have kids, you, you are kids. <laughs> some of you older, some of you younger. And you know very well that your parents aren't perfect. They've never claimed to be and it's just not possible. They have and they will make mistakes. Even the best parents among us can be impatient and easily frustrated, selfish. Amen, parents? That chaos is deeply rooted in every single one of us. It's deep inside you too. One of the freest moments I ever had was when I admitted a truth to my kids. I, they, were, they were insane. They were being so bad. And I was losing my mind. And I just told them, I, they were, we were in the car, and I stopped, I pulled over, I turned around, and I told them, I said, listen, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know what to do right now. But y'all are driving me crazy. So can you stop and we'll figure this all out when we get home? <laughs> like our parents aren't perfect. But I'm telling you, they want to be with you. Even if you don't want to have anything to do with them. They're fighting for you, even if it seems like they're fighting with you. And sometimes when your parents are fighting with you, that's proof that they're fighting for you. 
And they're willing to pay any price just so that you might live and not just live, but thrive. That you might really live life to the fullest. Anytime I have the opportunity to like talk to kids or teenagers, I really, I really try to tell them this, everything I've just said, but also this next thing, because I want them to know your parents aren't perfect, but I'm telling you, I say this to them every time, I'm telling you they love you and they love you with a kind of love. And then I, I ask for their forgiveness because I don't mean to sound condescending, but I always tell them that your parents love you with a kind of love that you can't even comprehend. And you can't comprehend it until you hold your own baby in your own arms. And that even that love, that indescribable love, a love that literally left me breathless both times it happened, that love is a shadow of God's love for you. Some of you had parents who modeled this love really well. Hallelujah. Give thanks to God for it. I had a father-in-law who not only modeled fatherhood for me, but honestly has helped me to forgive both of those fathers that hurt me. Some of you have had parents that wounded you. Forgive them. They're not perfect. And I'm telling you, no matter what they did, if they're human, the moment they saw you, they loved you in a way that they could never explain. A shadow of God's love for you. Not because you earned it. God's love for you simply because you exist and he chose to love you. He made you and chose to love you. He chose to save you. Y'all, I'm telling you in the end, every single story points to Jesus, even yours, mothers, fathers, and children, especially yours, because this is the story. The story is all about a father and his children. One writer says, the story of Jesus is not the greatest story ever told, it's the only story ever told. It's the story that makes sense of all of our stories because it's the story of a father and his children. There's one last thing you need to know. I'll make this quick. But one last thing you know about this father's love is that this love is fierce. The end of this passage, it reads, the zeal of God of the angel armies will do all this. It doesn't say it's the will of the Lord that this will be done. It says the zeal of the God of the angel armies will do this. This is a passionate fight. He is engaged in the process. He's not a bystander looking on. It's not just his will. He is fighting the battle to make it so. And Jesus is the proof that the father is passionately committed to his plan and he is passionately committed to you. The always father a perfect father, the complete parent that we all need, fully devoted to you, fighting for you. He came as a warrior, but he's a warrior wrapped in swaddling clothes for his armor. He came as a king, but he wasn't seated in a chariot that was pulled by beasts. Instead, he was laid in a feeding trough in a manger and was surrounded by them. He fought for you, not with weapons, but he fought for you naked and bruised as he hung on a cross. And we know that the battle was won because he stood up and walked out of the tomb. And for generations, disciple after disciple who saw him claim it to be true. That is our hope. That is the good news for us this Christmas, that the child is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, 
everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Amen? Let's pray. As both a child and a father, those last 25 minutes were really hard for me. But it's true, and I'm so grateful. So, God, instill in each of us the deep, deep truth that no matter what we've seen, no matter what model of parenthood we've seen, that you're better that you're perfect, that you are good, and that your love for us is real, it is available, and it can guide us through this life and into life eternal. Give us confidence, give us hope, especially during this Advent and Christmas season. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said,